morning, saints at uh, Vertas. Greetings from the Saints at Refuge Church just across town. Um, excited to be with you this morning. Uh, as Pastor Garrison said, uh, you can turn to your, uh, your Bible in Ephesians 2, and we're going to be concentrating on verses 11 through 22. Okay, very thankful for your pastor. He's a very uh, dear friend of mine, and uh, you know we've uh, really developed a bond, being some of the few uh, inner city planters, you know, the, over the past few years that have actually survived. Uh, you know, so uh, so it's it's hard to find that. Um, so uh, while we're kind of getting ready here for Ephesians two, just want to talk a little bit on you know uh, hostility. That it, it doesn't take long, uh, if you've been in this world for any significant amount of time, to see that our world is hostile, right? Um, and it's hostile in, it, around many topics, right? Um, COVID, <laughs> right, is a hot topic. Uh, Republican versus Democrat is another hot topic, right? So we've got political hostility. We've got, uh, you know, conspiracy theory with COVID, all these different things. You know, we've got uh, different debates on gun control, and, and I, I could go on and on and on, right? But what we're going to concentrate on here today is what the Apostle Paul concentrates on in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, which is what uh, Pastor Garrison, you know, prepped for us is ethnic hostility, right? That's what we want to primarily focus on today. Um, and this, you know, hostility uh, that um, we know exists in our world is at every level, right? It is at, uh, even when we think about this ethnic hostility, it's at every level, that it, it is on a global level, right? Uh, it's on a national level. It's at a local community level. It's in our workplace. It's in our neighborhood. It is in our uh, interpersonal relationships, maybe even in our home, right? Uh, and so, uh, leaders have tried to solve this problem for years. We've had doctors, lawyers, you know, philosophers, you know, politicians all come along and offer a solution for us to this complex problem of not only globe, just hostility in general, but particularly ethnic hostility. And so, if I'm, if I'm putting myself in your shoes, there's kind of two questions I'm kind of asking myself right away. Number one is... Who is this guy <laughs> to like, what, you know, what reason does he have to talk about this? Like, what credibility does he have to talk about this issue? And then the second question I would be asking myself if I was sitting in your shoes, in your seat, is to say, is there really a solution? I mean, this has been with us for so long. Is there really a cure to this problem? Well, to the, to the, to the first question, I'd say this, I... Uh, you know, um, I was born into this ethnic hostility. Um, that my father is of an African uh, heritage, and my mother is of a European heritage. Um, in the, you know, common tongue, black and white, right? <laughs> That's uh, uh, what I'm trying to, to say there. Um, and uh, my grandfather, my, mo my mother's father, marched in Ku Klux Klan rallies when he was young. Um, I've got an entire side of my family that wanted nothing to do with me and my sister. 
that told my mother not to come back to family reunions. Used a very unhelpful term to say that. Don't bring those in children back here. Um, and uh, so I was born into this. So I've been dealing with this issue my whole life. Uh, this is not just some kind of taboo thing for me just because our world is talking about I've, I've been thinking through this and, and talking through this issue since my very existence. And so it's a very personal issue for me. But to the second question of can there actually be peace, I believe yes, there can. And I think the Apostle Paul addresses that today in our text, that this is what I would say, you know, kind of is the main thrust of this text here, the main idea. The peace of Christ is the cure for healing ethnic hostility. So if you had one big idea I want you to take home with you today, if you don't get anything else out of this text, you, you know, just take that, that the peace of Christ, right, is the cure for ethnic hostility, right? What we have offered to us in Jesus is the cure. So let's narrow in on our text now, right? If you look with me um, here, we, we need to do a bit of kind of introductory remarks, uh, you know, where Paul, what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians 2, that he's just come out of uh, verses 1 through 10, talking about the vertical dynamic to hostility. Basically, what he's recognized is that there is hosp- uh, there's hostility between the human race and God, right? That everyone is born into sin, we're born into hostility with God. He says there, uh, in verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses, uh, you know, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, found the prince of the power of the air, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience or the humans of disobedience among whom we all once lived the passion for carrying out the desires of the body. And so he's by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's recognizing there's this hostility in mankind, in humankind that we're born into this hostility with God. That the, the world collectively opposes God. But Right, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great, uh, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead, which has made us alive together in Christ. So alive together, he's brought unity. He's laying the foundation here that God has realigned our hearts through the person of Jesus Christ. Right? We can now be at peace with God. So this is the vertical dynamic. Right? There was this hostility vertically, and God has, through the person of Jesus, solved that problem. And now what Paul wants to do in verses 11 through 22 is take how and say, okay, if that has been solved, it also solves this. <laughs> it solves the horizontal component. Right? If, we, if we're at peace with God, and he was the one most offended in the world, now this love, this grace, this mercy can spread to all peoples. And so this is where Paul picks up in verses 11 through 22. He says, Therefore, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what was called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a couple key phrases I want to kind of clue in on here that help us to understand what I would call the problem of hostility. You see, what Paul recognizes here in verses, right away in verses 11 through 13, is that there is a problem of hostility. And when I say a problem of hostility, remember how I prefaced this, that we're talking about ethnic hostility. So that's what Paul is talking about, right? He's recognizing these different ethnic groups are hostile toward one another. And he, he identifies this through two main groups in his mind. One he calls the uncircumcised group, and the other he calls the circumcised group. Another way of saying Jews and Gentiles. And it's important that we understand this kind of dynamic, that what, what, what's Paul highlighting, what's going on with this, is that we have the circumcised group, who were God's chosen people, the people of Israel. You can read that all throughout the Old Testament. And what was unique about this group is they had a personal, intimate relationship with the God of the universe, the one true God. They had been chosen as a special ethnic group, right, to be a light to the nations, to represent God on earth. And so they have these covenants of promise, right? The commonwealth of Israel, our language that he uses. And what was happening with this group is because they had this personal intimate relationship with God, because they had God's law, because they had God's word, because they had a special revelation from God, they started to see themselves as better than the uncircumcised group. We're God's chosen people. And all you dirty pagans are just doing... Ugh. And so that what they do is they take God's law, they take what's good from God. God's law is good, right? God's word is good. His revelation coming to a unique group of people is a good thing. But what, he, what they, the Israelites are doing is they're taking it and saying, we're better than these people. And what do you think the response is of the uncircumcised group? Oh, you think you're better than us? Well, we don't like some of your religion. <laughs> we don't like God's law. We like our own laws. And our laws are better than your laws. And our gods are better than your God. And so what do we have going on here is that we have one group of people taking something good in their culture and elevating it above the good of another culture. And then how does the other group respond? Our good is better than your good. This is the problem of ethnic hostility. Is there's no unifying good. <laughs> Instead what we have is we have a group of people going around propagating themselves as our good is better than yours. Our flourishing is better than your flourishing. If you would just do things our way. And so what we do is we elevate our moral code above another. Now, how does this kind of work in practical life here? Well, I want to confess to you. <laughs> 
I've seen this recently in my life, that um, three of my children are now in school. You have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a, and a five-year-old that are in school. And um, my five-year-old started preschool this year, right? And uh, when she started preschool, I mean, much like my, my six-year-old, she, she struggled because she's a very shy, introverted girl. Uh, so, you know, getting in a group of uh, people was very intimidating to her. Used to being at home with being home with uh, mommy and papa. Uh, and so to, to be at this unfamiliar place was, was challenging for her. Now, my, my first two children went, when we went and we took them to their classroom, and their classroom um, was very well lit, very organized. There was a, a system that you come in and you sign the sheet and you take your kid to their cubby hole and you drop off their book backpack and they get their breakfast and they sit down and everybody is well structured, right? And it's like a machine, you know, and your kid is this little cog that you're, you're taking through and you're like, oh, and nobody else is bothering you and you just kind of, it's just you and your kid kind of navigating the system, right? And for me and my wife, this was very comforting, like, oh, our kids are well taken care of. Look how well this is organized. I feel very safe here. Now, for our third child, this classroom was not like that at all. <laughs> we walk in to this classroom. It's not super well lit. It's very dark. Uh, you know, lights are not on. It's just using kind of natural light. Um, we walk in. There's no sign-in sheet. It feels like OMC, organized mass chaos, right? Uh, there's just every kid's just kind of coming in and putting their backpacks wherever they want. <laughs> and, uh, uh, there, there's a, a general circle that people are supposed to, to get in. And what we notice is that, you know, the, the, the preschool teacher would, would sit in the circle and every kid would be like in her lap. And they were all crying, all the time. And there was just a bunch of parents in there kind of like trying to console their kids and it seemed like every kid was crying and, uh, you know, and it just seemed like a very stressful environment. And my daughter was not doing well. Uh, she didn't trans transition as well as my son. It was just taking her months to get used to this environment. And so my wife and I start talking about this and we start being very concerned and say, do we need to switch classrooms? Like she's just not transitioning well and, you know, we're not sure if we like the vibe in there. And as we're talking about this, and, and I'm thinking about these very issues that I'm, I'm bringing up here, and I'm talking about and praying with this with my wife, that here's what the Lord brings to my attention. This school teacher, the first two school teachers were raised in America. <laughs> this third one we had was not. She was raised in Puerto Rico. And as I start thinking about maybe her context a bit more, um, maybe the reason her school is that she doesn't have the lights on is because in her environment, they don't waste energy as much as we do. She was using natural light <laughs> to light up her room instead of the electricity that we burn all the time. Okay. Okay, well, why, the, why no sign-in sheet and why all these other things? Well, if you notice... There was an entire group of people over here gathering, suffering together <laughs> through the transition of preschool, all sitting in her lap 
being consoled by her. And what we noticed in time is it became very much a community-driven environment. Lots of hugs, lots of smiles, lots of personal interaction. That it wasn't about sitting your, your kid through a system or a cog. It was about creating a little community. Where we're all interconnected. And so what you can see here with, I hope with this example is, is that we were taking, my wife and I were taking something good about culture. There's nothing wrong, I've preached this sermon before, so don't hear, mishear me, okay? There's nothing wrong with organization and signing sheets and, you know, having systems and structures, okay? If you're into the Enneagram, I'm a six. I like systems and structures, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But when you take the good of your culture and you elevate it above the good of another culture, now we've got a problem. We're not looking for the good in this culture. We're saying, my way is the moral code. And we're not even talking about God's law. They were right to believe that God's law was above every other law. It was what was best for human flourishing. But when we take that and misuse it, it becomes a problem. But what happens a lot of times is we take the good of our culture and we elevate it above the good of another culture. This is what begins the problem of ethnic hostility. Second here, let's look at the complexity of hostility. The complexity of hostility. Look with me again in verse 12. Seeing the problem of hostility, now we want to look at its complexity. And he says, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He says in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who's made, made us both one, and breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he may create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached to those who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so, once again, there's a couple key phrases here I want to clue in on. Right? While Paul recognizes a oneness or a unity available to us in the person of Jesus Christ, he also does not um, ignore the fact that there is diversity in the unity. Okay? But particularly in the diversity, he sees division. He calls it a dividing wall of hostility. Right? These different groups separated, alienated, strangers, people who are far off, people who are near. All of these are descriptions of this division. There's a wall of hostility. So first thing I want to highlight here that I think, you know, that Garrison was, uh, you know, he prepped me well <laughs> for this, right? That there's certain kind of 
when we get into this idea of you know being one man, this one unity, there's some unhelpful ways to talk about this, okay? And in many senses, I'm just scratching the surface of this conversation today. I'm not going to be able to go into a lot of the, the depths or maybe the questions that you, you have. And, and that's what you have elders for, right? Uh, I'm not your pastor. So you can talk to them about it, okay? All right. But some unhelpful comments that I've heard over the year. All right. Um, here's one of my favorites. John, I, I just don't see skin color. Really? Because it's a reality, and it's beautiful, <laughs> right? And I know what people mean by it, but this idea of kind of being colorblind as the, pro- as the solution to solving ethnic hostility is no solution at all. Because let's, let's think about the implications of what we're, what we're saying here, that uh, we're, what we're doing, once again... Okay, if you go back to the problem is we're devaluing the good of another group of people. And here's the beauty. What Garrison read in Revelation 7, right? What he read in Acts 17, 26. When we read in Revelation 19, read in Revelation 5, we read in Jesus giving the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, is that God doesn't wipe away nations. He doesn't wipe away tongues. He doesn't wipe away different languages. He doesn't wipe away ethnic groups. They're all there worshiping the Lamb who was slain, still singing out in their native tongue. Still singing out with their colored skin. And so what we don't want to do is devalue something God made. That is beautiful. That is a part of God's design. Instead, we want to try to see where is the good that God has made in this culture, in this ethnic group. What is the beauty there? Where can I see God's imprint Because God has declared that good. If I don't declare that good, then I've got a problem with my maker. And what this does by trying to, this is actually a term, I don't know if you've heard this, but it's called whitewashing. (laughs) And if we could just make everybody the same, it actually increases ethnic hostility. It does not decrease it. This is a problem. It's not God's way. Now let me, I I see the the majority of people out here are of a certain hue uh, in their skin color, okay? So let me give you an, an example of this, okay? That I think will resonate with you guys with your particular hue. If an Irish man walked into the back of the room there and he got seated by our, you know, your hospitality team and you went up and you talked to him, recognized he's a guest and you looked at his hair and you looked at his clothes and you looked at the way his mannerisms, you listened to the way he talks and you say, you're not around from around here, are you? And he's like, oh no, I'm not, right? I can't do an Irish accent, so don't expect it. So, and you say to this person, where are you from, England? Is the Irish man going to be offended? 
The answer is yes. Now, if an Englishman, same deal, walks through the door. You look at his hair, you look at the way he's dressed, you look at his mannerisms, you listen to the way he talks, and you say, hey, you're not from around here, are you? No. And you say, what are you, Scottish? Is he going to be offended? Yes. Scottish man walks in the room. We go through the whole same scenario. And you say, what are you, Australian? Is he going to be offended? Yeah, big time. Now, three of those people, that I, three of those ethnic groups I just identified have the same skin color. <laughs> They're from the same island. And yet we have thousands of years of them despising one another. political unrest. I mean, you can even get into Ireland and see that there's Northern Irish and Southern Irish that people want to make into a religious thing, but it usually goes all the way back to their cultic tribal groups. (laughs) Ethnic hostility. But yet we've been fed a lie, friends, that this is about skin color. If you think it's just about skin color, you're not even scratching the surface of the problem. That's just the beginning. This is, I've traveled all over the world. I've been places like Turkey and Nepal and Armenia and, and, and you know, the Netherlands and Germany and England and Italy. And I've been all over these different places. And trust me, friends... This hostility is even in the same countries with people of the same skin color. <laughs> I'm even in the same country. This problem is much deeper than just skin color. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. By abolishing the laws and commands expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. See, this is another lie we've been fed here. Look this stuff up. You can look, I I, I encourage you to go look up where the terms white and black come from. It will disgust you. I'm not going to do it for you. You got to go do it. But here's the lie. That we've been fed. This idea of different races. Biblically speaking, there are two races. That's it. There's the race of Adam and the race of Christ. That's it. And this idea of different races is continuing stuff that can be dated all the way back to the African slave trade. That's where those terms came from. Because <laughs> if we can devalue another group of people and separate them as a different race, then we can treat them however we want. I can propagate the good of my culture above the good of another. That Africans were considered three-fifth human. Three-fifths. Not quite homo sapiens. So we can do whatever we want with them. They're more like animals. 
Now I know that for some of you say, well, yeah, John, this is elementary stuff. I'm telling you, it's not. <laughs> some people don't get this still. And this is what's been lost in the conversation that when we, when we understand the, conver- the, the, the terms, that's the, if you're devaluing another human being, that is very, its very definition, racism. It is a crime against your own race. If a dark-skinned person were to walk in here among all the lighter-skinned people in the room, the matters between you, even biologically, is a matter of 2%. <laughs> even secular science has recognized this. And in many ways in America, the reason that this has continued to be a problem is, is that we've lost our ethnic identity. If any of you grew up knowing that you had German heritage or Irish heritage or Italian heritage or Scottish heritage. Do you have any idea what it means to be Irish? Scottish? German? Probably not. I don't. I got that in my heritage. I have no idea what it means to be Scottish. <laughs> I'd go to Scotland they'd be like, no, you, you, you're not Scottish. <laughs> right? We've lost this idea of ethnic identity. But you go to most places in the world and they really find value in that. Right? Isn't that not one of the mistakes that early Christian, Western Christian missionaries made when they went to Eastern places? They tried to Westernize them and they said, hey, if I got to give up being Chinese to be a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. And so missionaries were like, oh, we've kind of been goofing this. <laughs> it's not about you, 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 that you have to worship the way we do, or you, you have to wear clothes the way we do. No, you, you just have to value the one person of Jesus Christ. If we're going to make any headway, guys, that we can't just recognize the problem, we also must recognize the complexity of the problem. What does it mean to be alienated? What does it mean to be separated? What does it mean to be a stranger? What does it mean to be far off and near? This language that Paul's using in our text. We need to think deeply about these things because if we're going to pursue reconciliation, we need to know what what do we mean by that? Is it just whitewashing? (laughs) Everybody's got to be the same? I don't think so. Finally, We've looked at the problem of hostility. We've looked at the complexity of hostility. Now let's look at the solution of hostility. Pick up with me again in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. There's that new race I was telling you about in place of two. So making peace... And might reconcile us to God and to one another through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, what Paul has told us is that right there, he himself is our peace. Who is he himself? Jesus Christ. If we want peace between these ethnic groups, if we want the dividing wall of hostility to come down, if we want to kill hostility toward one another... We need Jesus. He is the solution. 
peace is guaranteed. It is one. It's in the bank account. All you got to do is just go in and type your code and pull out the, it, the, the deposits in there. <laughs> you see, peace is not in a policy. It's not in a circumstance. It's not in a bank statement. It's not in a career. It's not in a philosophy. It's not in a substance. It's not in some political idea. Peace is in a person. And his name is Jesus. He will bring peace. Once again, friends, I've traveled all over the globe. Do you know what I was doing a lot when I was traveling all over the globe? I was meeting other Christians in other countries. <laughs> Finding out, hey, what's going on with you guys? Because this is my family. Our skin colors were different. Our ethnic expressions were different. <laughs> we talked different. We prayed different. We sung different. We ate different things. They knew I was American because I was loud, right? Like, oh, you must be American. You're loud. <laughs> you know, right? But I knew that anywhere I go in the world, I have an immediate connection because I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus. I've walked through the plains of Nepal, like close to the Himalayas, and walk through eight-hour, 12-hour days into these little houses out in the middle of nowhere and walked up to someone and said, Jameson, which is, I salute the Jesus in you. <laughs> I never thought I'd meet somebody way out in the middle, and they had this person hadn't seen Christians in months. And yet, immediate connection... Because of Christ. We've got a new race because of Jesus. Paul picks up on this theme once again in verse 19. He says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, Paul gives us three key images here to describe what's happening through the person of Jesus Christ. He says that we're a new nation, right? He says you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. You're a new nation. More important than being a citizen of Ireland, more important than being a citizen of, of China, more important than being a, a, a citizen of Germany, more important than being a citizen of Brazil, more important than being a citizen of America, you're a citizen of heaven. That's your nation. That's your primary nation. And it doesn't absolve this other one. Like I said, they're, they're all going to be there in heaven, right? That ethnic expression, that, that culture, that language is all going to be there in heaven. We're a new nation, but we're also a new family, right? Members of the household of God. We have one father. That's the idea of this one new race. He's the race of Adam and the race of Christ. 
You have a new nature now. Up in, up in uh, you know, the, earlier there in chapter 2, he said, we're by nature children of wrath. That when you were, you know, a, a, of the race of Adam, you were a child of wrath by nature. But now you're a child of peace by nature. Because Christ has bought you and put his spirit in you. New family. And then, so he's got a new nation, a new family, and a new structure. Right? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, and then he has this temple language, that there's a new way of doing things. You see, you put all this together, and this was why you can go anywhere in the world, and you have more in common with the Christian than someone from your own ethnic identity. I can go anywhere in the world. I have more in common with the Christian than I have someone from America. I go another part of the world. Finding an American doesn't make me feel safe. Finding another Christian makes me feel safe. I love the American. It's great to see you. <laughs> but we may not have the same value system. Well, with the Christian, we've got the same structure. We're this one family. We're this new nation. We got new policy. <laughs> the Christian policy. To close, four practical implications here I think we could take away from this text. Four, okay? Let me give them to you here. Number one, racism is not compatible with the Christian faith. You're racist. You need to reevaluate whether or not you're a believer. You cannot hate what God hates. Or, sorry, you cannot hate what God loves. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <It's cool. laughs> you can't hate what God loves. You hate the church. You need to re you know, I've heard this before. Oh, I love Christ. I just don't like Christians. Well, that's his family. That's the people he bought. You can't, <laughs> you can't come to me and say, hey, John, I like you, but I don't like your kids and your wife. Nope, no, we're, we're kind of a unit. Right? So if people are made in the image of God, if this is what God values, he sees as valuable, we can't hate that. Racism is incompatible with the Christian faith. It doesn't work. Number two. My Christian identity governs my ethnic identity. My Christian identity governs my ethnic identity. You cannot propagate your ethnic identity above your Christianity. Like, I can't be a card-carrying American over a card-carrying Christian. Because America's not always going to agree with God's way. China's not always going to agree with God's way. Germany's not always going to agree with God's way. It's God's way, everything else. My Christian identity governs my ethnic identity. Number three, learn to value what God values. If God values ethnic expression, right? If he's not whitewashing it out... Right? It's still there in the eschaton, in the end times. I need to learn to value it because this is, this is an eternal thing. 
Right? Like, when I got married, I did not like Mexican food. Okay? I was American, right? Like, I, I like burgers and steak and fri- french fries. But my wife, who grew up in the Southwest, loves Mexican food. I had to learn to value. Now, there are certain dishes that I really love. And I am looking forward to see what Mexican food is going to be like in heaven. It's going to be better than I can even imagine. Right? And think about this, guys. Like, we have eternity to explore all these ethnic expressions. God's not going to wipe away different kinds. It's not going to wipe away Chinese food and Mexican food and Mediterranean food. Like, it's all going to be there. Right? For all you foodies in the room, like, heaven's going to be awesome. You get to travel all over the globe without sin being in the world and you get to try all different kinds. And I'm just picking one thing. Right? There's lots of different things in ethnic cultures that are beautiful. And we get to Learn about them and celebrate them for eternity. So let's get started now. <laughs> right? Racism's not compatible. Christian identity governs my ethic identity. Learn to value what God values. And then number four, we can never forget that Jesus is the solution to bringing about unity in diversity. You know, that's what the university setting was always about. Right, if you study where this term came from, right, they were, had the uh, four essences that they were looking for in the world, and the fifth essence, they were looking for the quintessence, like what's the thing that's going to unify the whole world together? How can we find unity in diversity? That's where the term university came from. That's what the scholarly pursuit was about. For the Christian, we got it. <laughs> Jesus is the quintessence. He's the unifying force in the world that brings everybody together. But doesn't whitewash everything away. Instead, what he does is he redeems our culture. And see, people are going to tell you, they're going to, you can go out there and you're going to preach Jesus and say, yes, this is the unifying power. And they're going to be like, I see your religion is the dividing wall of hostility. <laughs> They're going to make you feel like you're, you're offering something that's not helping. Jesus is the solution. That's what we believe. <laughs> so we have to go preach it. We have to go share it. Because he is the cure. It's not Jesus and something else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And we've got to believe that. Otherwise, there is no hope for this ethnic hostility. He is the cure. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you uh, so much for your word. And I recognize from your word that at one time I was a stranger, an alien to the covenants of promise. Hostile in mind toward you, toward my neighbor. But in the love of Christ, you have brought all of us here who were far off near. And so help us to draw near to Christ. And as we draw near to Christ, we will draw near to one another. 
imprint that deep in our souls so it may affect the way that we talk, we interact, and the way that we think about our world. And I offer up this prayer to you. May it be a sweet aroma to you. May it be in the bowl of incense in Revelation 5. And the only reason it would be a sweet aroma to you is because of the broken body and shed blood of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.